0: and welcome to our next episode of Table Manners for Robots. We continue to forge along with the Unite for Small series. We have a slightly, uh, slightly different studio today, and that's only because we're dealing with a bit of um, load shedding here, so we've had to go and set up a temporary studio for today, and we hope that there will be no technical glitches as a result. If there are a few, please bear with us, we will correct them as quickly as possible. So on that note, let's launch right into today's very important discussion. The impact of COVID of the post-pandemic workforce is no more uh, visible than on employees and the plight of employees right now, particularly as we look into the small to medium business sector, which includes some substantial companies. We find that the impact on employees of these organizations are incredibly stark um, compared to, for example, the very, very large established corporates. On that note, we brought in some experts to really take this discussion apart really uh, build a robust and valuable conversation for hr professionals to start looking at things differently and bring solutions into the conversation so that we can now prepare for the next generation workforce and not become the adverse effect of a post pandemic environment so on that note i'd like to welcome our uh, both of our guests let's start with um, rizan rizan would you mind telling us a little bit about your background
1: Hi Karushin. thanks for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here as part of this Unite for Small movement, and um, you know I believe it's really something we need to take seriously, especially in the current economic conditions. So I think well done, hats off to you and your team for for driving this initiative. Um, just a little bit about myself, um, I've got a bachelor of business science honors degree in information systems and technology. Um, I started my career as a management consultant at a global management consulting firm and uh, later expanded my consulting experience into various industries and sectors through business transformation and systems integration projects. Um, Later, I was one of the co-founders of a startup consulting firm, which was later sold to a large technology services corporate. And um, I think what led me to the the startup uh, consulting firm was I was really passionate about um, creating a different type of a consulting culture and what I call sustainable consulting. You know, you have sustainable energy and you have sustainable farming that looks at creating long-term benefits uh, with minimal effects on the environment. And likewise, you know, I want to do the same for businesses and create, you know, long-term benefits of values through the right solutions with minimal impacts on business. Um, And this led me to Mellon Consulting, which uh, was a niche management consulting firm that really had the same beliefs that I believed in and uh, you know, I've been there since, I'm currently the Managing Director of the Consulting and Technology Services Division, uh, but I'm also involved in other exciting you know, entrepreneurial
0: avenues within the group. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Rizan. Shiraz, please tell us a little bit about your background.
2: Sure, Krishan. <clears throat> and echoing Rizan, thank you very much for having us on the show. I think it's a really exciting topic to discuss today. So I'm kind of the accidental HR guy. You know, I've been involved in technology biz- in the technology industry for about 20 years. For the last 10 years, I've run uh, technology lines of business for some of the big global vendors. Um, my background's been in in the you know in the tech space in in middleware, business process management, analytics, and big data. But four years ago, I joined SAP to kickstart their cloud ERP business. So you know, finance ERP. And after incubating that successfully for two years, I was offered the role of running success factors, which is uh, SAP's human experience management line of business. Um, So, it's a very well-established and mature line of business, uh, the most mature cloud business that SAP has, and has a really strong footprint in South Africa. But the opportunity was the growth in the continent. So, it's allowed me the opportunity to travel extensively before COVID uh, and meet customers across the continent and understand the needs and the requirements of employees in this very entrepreneurial environment. Right. So the real eye opener for me has been that, you know, understanding the impact of a really engaged and loyal workforce on the objectives of, of an organization. So for me, the, what I've really what's been an epiphany is that, you know, the, the real differentiator of any organization is its people. you know, that old adage that culture eats strategy for breakfast for me is really wrong too. So while I'm the accidental HR guy, it's been really fulfilling for me so far.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for that very good introduction. Um, Folks, before we move off into the meat of the conversation, a quick note to all the attendees. As you know, with this particular show, Table Manners for Robots, the thing that we encourage is for you as attendees to become part of the dialogue. The way in which you do that is just pop over into the Q&A box. Uh, Inside zoom or if you'd like use the chat box inside zoom send your comments send your questions through the life of the uh, Discussion and I will ensure that we get to absolutely every comment and absolutely every question will be addressed as long as you send it During the life of the show and not uh, towards the tail end. So on that note, let's go back to our speakers. Rizan, Tell us what made you specialize in this area?
1: I Think um you know, I'm I'm passionate about um, you know helping and problem solving, and and I'm also passionate about technology. I think the helping butt is definitely something that was instilled in me from my dad, as he was uh, you know always involved in helping the community, and I think these values naturally got instilled in me. In terms of technology, I think from a young age I was always intrigued about technology. Um, you know, I'm sure, Croatian, you'll remember the the IBM 386 and 486 machines back in the day. Uh, sorry if I'm giving away your age here. Thanks, thanks um, but, I just uh, want to say thank
0: you. I, I, I keep it well hidden, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, but I would open these machines up, uh, you know, put them together, install new parts. Um, uh, I'd run a 10-meter telephone line you know, to the built-in modem in the machine just to hear that famous dial-up sound and, and, and all just to get a 56-kilobit dial-up internet connection. So, uh, you know, I was quite fascinated with technology since then, um, and I think where business and technology sort of clicked and came together for me was, uh, you know, during my my major project at university, where you know we had to develop a a solution, a a, a software for a real business and ah and, and get a customer to to endorse and accept the the solution, and we ended up getting a a fashion designer as a customer and. Uh, you know, despite some very interesting requirements gathering, attending a fashion show, uh, you know, we were able to put a, a solution together that really addressed the, the customer's needs and challenges, and it showed that businesses of all sizes, of all sorts, you know, including a fashion designer, could use technology to help and uh, create efficiency uh, in companies and, and then is within uh, companies, you know, finding the right solution is what, what it's all about, and you know, why I enjoy doing what I do.
0: Thank you for that, uh, Rizan. Um, Rodney, I got your feedback about my voice being a bit soft. Um, it's clearly a technical issue. I did say at the start that we are going to have a few minor technology issues because we did set up a temporary studio because of load shedding um this isn't normally how we work i'm going to do my best to fix it um, as we go through the show Uh, please keep your feedback coming along let me know if you cannot hear me i'm going to do my best to try super hard to be as audible as possible and sincere apologies for this technical glitch shiraz let's move over to you tell us a little bit about why you got into this specific area
2: so I think you know, from a technology perspective, similar to Rizan, you know, it's a love at an early age for how technology impacts on the consumer. And my first, uh, I guess, my first uh, introduction into technology was video games, like many kids, right? And I see my kids doing the same. But I think you know, as I, as my career progressed, I, what what became important to me was you know what really drove me, and what really drove me was starting new businesses, looking at the impact of technology on on the consumer and on on, on firms. But really, with, with, with a view to launching new technologies into the market. So that's been my forte, and that's really been what's driven me. So the opportunity to join SuccessFactors at SAP was really about growth of the continent. And um, since I hadn't had much experience, it was really interesting, um, you know, it was an attraction to me to be able to travel to, uh, you know, places like uh, Ethiopia and um, obviously Nigeria and Ghana and so on. So that's been, that's been really, really amazing for me.
0: Thank you for that, Shiraz. Now, while we still have you here, let me just you know, l- l- let me just dive right into it. Um, let's talk about the situation in South Africa right now. What is yeah. the plight of employees at this stage?
2: So I think, you know, if I talk to people that I know, and I'm sure it's similar for everyone, right, there's an overwhelming feeling of anxiety, not just because of COVID, but, but because of the impacts of it. So you know, there's a wide range of, of, of impact. I mean, from folks who run their own businesses who have seen their businesses grind grind to a halt, you know, people in the tourism industry or the restaurant industry, for example. And then there are those that have had their salaries cut. So I think there's an overwhelming feeling of insecurity and which which is the underpinning reason for this anxiety, right? So so my feeling is that it's it's incumbent on employers to address the sentiment, to first of all understand the sentiment at a very personal and individual level. And to address it, so so they've got to be listening to their employees, and they've got to be, you know, forthright where where there are uh, potential risks of downsizing an organisation, or they've got to be reassuring where there isn't. Right? And I think, you know, there's we've seen at, at SAP, we've seen with you know dealing with enterprise customers, a lot of that anxiety is translating to real action and fast action. So you know, we recently you know embarked on a project with a large bank uh, for employee experience where. You know, just like they want to understand what their customers feel about the brand, they want to understand how their employees feel about the forced transition to working remotely. So, the sports transformation really puts employers in a difficult situation from two perspectives. One is that they need to ensure that they, they're managing their talent so that once the pandemic is over, they hold on to key talent. And the second aspect is that they want to ensure that people are adapting to the new way of working, adopting the tools and are productive and are engaged so I think if, uh, you know, that probably answers your question to a certain extent, but I think we'll build upon it during the, during the rest of the show.
0: Thank you. And that's right. We will build upon that. I think that those are very important opening comments. Uh, Folks, again, our guests, uh, attendees of the show, please feel free to put your comments in, put your questions in, uh, into the dialogue boxes inside Zoom. And I will be sure to make sure that everything is covered during the life of the show. All right. So let's go to uh, Razan for a second. Um, What, in your opinion, is the biggest problem facing employees of small businesses?
1: i think the biggest challenge facing is, you is not having a clear understanding of the company goals, goals and and that's as a result of our company not you know having adequate uh, you know processes tools in place to support their employees and as a result employees that uh, become disengaged
0: I, it looks like um, but i think like there is even more in- a uh, few technical difficulties, we're not able to hear Razan very clearly. Uh, I think this may have to do with the fact that Century City is experiencing um, uh, load shedding right now and this is possibly affecting the feed. Um, again, apologies for this. Uh, it's it's a very big coincidence that we actually shoot from um, Century City in Cape Town and uh, we have both our studio. And uh, our guest, Razan, who's subject to load shedding today. So it's a, it's a very big coincidence. This doesn't normally happen this way. Uh, let's just jump to Shiraz for a second, um, perhaps giving Razan a little bit of time to figure out his sure. technical issues. So, Shiraz, tell us, let's, let's ask a tough question here. Are employees taking into account the situation post-pandemic, you know, people desperate for jobs, are employees being treated worse today than they have been, uh, say, a year ago?
2: I think, I think it's hard to say to answer that in a blanket way. You know, I, I would answer it from a, from two perspectives. I think there, there's a there's a there's a truth to that when it comes to blue-collar employees, right? Because typically, blue-collar employees are treated as commodities, unfortunately, <clears throat> and their needs are not always uh, you know taken into account in the same way as professional services or uh, you know white-collar employees or professional em- uh, you know those with professions are. So I think there's two sides to that to that question. So I think, on the one hand, it's probably exacerbated the situation in terms of the negative experience of employees in the blue-collar space. But in the white-collar space, I think it's it's probably improved the situation because there's a lot more, uh, you know, of a feeling of that, that we need to look after our staff to ensure that we hold on to the key staff. And there's also a diminishing talent pool. I believe, you know, if you talk to a lot of people, there's a lot of folks who are wanting to leave the country. They believe that the situation is untenable. So I think that, you know, there's a real dichotomy in terms of the answer to that question. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Very, very interesting. So what would you say are the risks to employers, the actual people risk to
2: employers? So I think, you know, as I said earlier, if we take into account the bank that I spoke of earlier, who we know amongst the big banks that there's a lot of movement. It's very fluid in terms of the war for talent, right? So, I think from that perspective, it's really important that, and they understand that it's important that they see their employees, their key staff through this period by supporting them in in a way that they feel uh, that there's loyalty towards them in terms of their employees, right, so that they retain key staff throughout this. So, I think that's a a key feature of what we're seeing amongst professional services, uh, banks and, uh, you know, white-collar firms and employers.
0: Okay. Interesting. So just to get an understanding of our audience demographic, um, if you are either an HR professional or you are yourself a people manager, you lead people, you lead a team, it could be that you just lead a single individual inside your company, Uh, please uh, raise your hand or let us know in the Q&A box. Um, Give us some signal that you are a people person. If you are, I'm interested to know, and we just want to get the dialogue going with our audience. So please go ahead and raise your hand, or like I mentioned, just drop a note in one of the boxes. And this way I'm also (laughs) aware of whether you can hear me or not. (laughs) <laughs> that's my
2: way of thinking. Krishan, just just another aspect maybe yes. to consider is that, you know, many organizations have their, have processes, right, but they're predicated on, on folks being in the office, so they're very manual processes, right? So in this forced transition, I think uh, w- one of the aspects that's, that's really been highlighted is that, you know, while many organizations struggle to get approvals for HR programs, right, where they institute automation of HR processes, uh, it's becoming understood by the executives that, Having these, these processes and these automated uh, systems in place has become really important during these times, right? Because where you can't see your employees face-to-face, it becomes important, A, to manage things as simple as leave requests or as complex as performance, uh, you know, management processes. And I think also, you know, providing a, a digital platform for collaboration uh, provides two, uh, you know, big pieces of value to employers. One is that, you, you know, you help employees to remain engaged. And the second thing is that you, are, you, you create a system of subtle accountability to make sure that people are engaged and productive and you can understand the contribution of each of the team members to a particular project. Yeah. So I think those, those, those aspects are important to consider as well.
0: Absolutely. And I think, uh, Shiraz, to just add to what you're saying, I think, uh, you know, we do sometimes underestimate the importance or the value of person-to-person interaction. Uh, sometimes we take for granted that w- working alongside someone, you know, we are able to tell, are they having a good day? Are they having a not so good day? You know, are they in a bad Absolutely. mood? We are able to tell if they're productive or if they're wasting time. We're able to tell what their attitude is towards their work. And all of these things are very subliminal. It's possibly things that we do or that we observe without even realizing that we're picking up all of this wonderful information when we are working on site together as a team. And I think that the push towards remote work, I mean, I definitely supported as a a tech guy, as someone who is all about being productive wherever one is. I, I definitely support the notion, but I think sometimes we neglect some of the subtleties that occur in the workplace that makes it so much easier for us to stay in good communication with those around us. And there will be an increased dependence on manual systems to override this or to work around these things that are very native as part of our communication amongst us human beings. you know we're going to have to like find solutions around it like we may have to depend a little bit more on a on a on a more formal performance management system if we are, if we're not if we don't have the luxury of just being able to experience our coworkers would you would you say that that's sure. fair?
2: I think that's fair. And I think, you know, you know, we need to be careful as well to not institute policing measures, right? So, we don't want our employees to feel that they're being overly policed because they've been forced to work remotely. So, I think the subtlety of creating a, an environment that's conducive to cal- collaboration is the way to do it, right? Because in that way, a manager can see the contribution of each of the team members to a, to a team task, as an example, and foster a feeling of belonging of engagement amongst the employees and and potentially picking up the sentiments of those employees that are struggling to work remotely. Because not everyone is built to work in this fashion. People, you know, a lot of people, I I speak to a lot of my my colleagues who feed off working with people face-to-face. So those are some of the things that I think we need to take into account as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, Claire, thank you for raising your hand. You seem to be the only HR uh, professional or people person on the call. I think, you know, my, my request has fallen on deaf ears, but I want to say a special thank you to Claire for listening to me and and, and, and heeding to my appeal. Uh, Ashraf says this is a very good discussion. Thank you. Thanks for that feedback, Ashraf. Um, folks, again, uh, attendees, become part of the discussion. The cool thing about Table Matters for Robots is that it allows and we encourage a lot of audience participation. We want you to be part of the discussion. We want you to be asking questions and we want you to contribute to the live show. So feel free to dialogue and feel, feel free to engage. Uh, let's just check here quickly, Rizan, are you back? And um, are we are we live again?
1: I'm back, I'm back, Rizan. Uh, okay. Apologies for that. Um, seems to be good to go
0: all right no problem so i know that you were answering the question what is the biggest problem facing employees of small businesses right now
1: yeah so i think it it, it talks to i think uh, you know some of the some of the points that sharaz highlighted now as well you know about um, you know having employees that are engaged and uh, <clears throat> you know the challenges that affects employees um you know, it's it's a it's a lot more prominent with small businesses, and it's largely because small businesses often lack the you know the right tools, support. Um, you know, we spoke about the man- performance management systems, having you know clear day-to-day operating models. Now they've got a lot of manual processes, and and often these inadequate systems in place that that um, you know make it difficult for them to manage their HR operations. The pandemic, as we know, it's 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 amplified this challenge. You know in addition to just highlighting some of the other challenges that Shiraz mentioned earlier, such as, uh, you know, employee well-being. For most employees at the moment, I think the the biggest challenge is job security, Um, you know, coupled with the stresses uh, that are inherent in this difficult time. You know, worrying about the health and well-being of, uh, you know, your loved ones, juggling domestic and work responsibilities, you know, all under one roof, um, finding food, trying to order online and make sure your deliveries are uh, and your groceries are coming through, uh, juggling homeschooling. So uh, you know adapting to this new virtual office is is a challenge on its own and and it's a bigger challenge when there are no proper systems and digital processes in place to assist employees to adjust to
0: this new way of working. Absolutely. Absolutely. So while we, while we have you back here, you know, uh, just to cut into the difficult parts of the conversation. So there's a lot of talk about the, about the nicer people stuff and the, and the kind of solutions we need to employ during COVID. But what about the tougher points? What about the difficulties that employees are facing in regards to, um, you know, getting retrenched? Uh, perhaps even getting their salaries cut. A lot of employees are proud about the fact that they are decreasing salaries and not retrenching. What are your thoughts on some of these important points?
2: That's
1: a, that's, that, that's a good uh, point. I think the COVID pandemic has has definitely wreaked havoc on many local businesses. Um, you know, In fact, I read an article in, in the Times Live over this weekend um, on a survey of uh, you know of a group of about I think it was about two thousand companies, and seventy percent, seventy six percent I think of companies that uh, were were surveyed, um, you know had shrunken revenues, and you know there were twenty three percent of uh, companies that have shut down either temporarily um, and or permanently. You know the sad reality is that. Um, I think there's many more companies that have been impacted um, and we had to look at cutting costs in order to survive. Now, unfortunately, in terms of cost cutting, you know, the largest area of impact was and is likely to be on unemployment. Um, so a lot of companies have, uh, like you mentioned, you know, looked at salary cuts. Um, some looked at other options such as, you know, taking annual leave or furlough arrangements um, I think retrenchment should be the final option in that, you know, the employees and the companies need to work together to find an alternative solution. You know, while these alternative types of measures may not be ideal, you know, they can be workable alternatives to outright retrenchment. Now, At the end of the day, you know, holding on to a job, even in a less than perfect uh, situation, can can be, you know, more preferable to having no job at all. But you know, ultimately, each company's situation is different, and it depends on what works best for them and the employees. And I think it's the responsibility of the, of the of the companies, the employers, you know, to consult, have open, transparent, you know, discussions with the employees, and and look at the alternatives with the staff together.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, a uh, uh, comment here from Candice. Candice says. Agreed, Karushan, communication during COVID has been a challenge for many companies. I think that many companies have not fully understood the full impact of lockdown on their employees and the challenges they have faced. Many people, uh, many people's personal relationships have been a challenge and everything has been compounded by homeschooling. And I think that this is a very valid point that needs to come up more and more in the dialogue. There are personal impact or personal consequences to this concept of remote work. And we need to bring up these points into the spotlight a lot more than perhaps we are right now. The the factor, the soft factors of interpersonal relationships, wanting to have one's um, colleagues around, wanting to have you know a little bit more of the workspace versus combining work and home. All of these have soft impacts on people, and we really need to start dialoguing about it a lot more. Folks, again, um, I want to encourage you to become part of the conversation and really put your comments, your questions, uh, you know, bring it forward on the um, uh, Zoom chat, um, uh, the, 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 the chat option or the Q&A box. It's up to you. Um, raise your hand if you uh, if you'd like to make a comment and I can enable your voice if you'd like to do it that way. Um, the point of it is that we really want this conversation to be, uh, you know, uh, very robust and very rich. So become part of it. I want to um, just move on now, while we got Rizan and a good connection here. I'm gonna just um, take as much as I can get, Rizan, if you don't mind. Um,
2: in no the face of
0: um, you know, in the face of all of these challenges, um, you know, we, we 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 are seeing the pressure that a lot of these employee uh, employees are communicating that were not expected a few months ago. And you mentioned now about. Um, You know, you mentioned about some of the cost-cutting measurements that, uh, you know, businesses are employing in order to keep their uh, staff, uh, you know, on the payroll at all. So there is a definite cost pressure that a lot of businesses are facing. Now, in the face of all of this cost pressure... There's this idea that we need to further invest in systems to improve the employee experience and to improve employee engagement. How does this make sense? Like, how is it that I should invest at a time when I'm trying to save money and I'm trying to keep people on my payroll? This is for Rizan, by the way.
1: I think that's a very good question, uh, Kadushan, and and it's so pertinent right now. Um, You know, companies are, are... are looking at cutting costs, and and you know they, they they're cutting salaries down, and um, you know now you're asking them to go invest in in technology and solutions, which uh, you know comes at a cost as well, and 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 that's a difficult sell uh, mm-hmm. to have and a difficult conversation to have um, you know internally in organizations, but I think there's there's different views on this. You know studies have shown that you know. Businesses that often experience HR problems, you know, they, as a result, they lose their competitive advantage. Um, and and we know that you know employees are an indispensable component of uh, you know the success of a business, and therefore shouldn't be ignored. The reality is that many businesses neglect the HR aspect of their business in in varying degrees. Um, you know, some businesses, especially small businesses, they view HR practices as you know costly, time-consuming. Um, and, and often, you know, typically leads them to start adopting informal uh, HR practices, manual processes, you know, having inadequate systems, and they're therefore poorly equipped to manage the operation uh, and, and, and challenges that um, are related from an HR perspective. And ultimately, this can cost the business. Um, you know, what's the implications of not having the right tools in place to support your employees? You know, amongst other things. You know, you could have high staff turnover, um, low morale, you know, lack of skills, uh, reduced motivation, and ultimately, you know, it can affect productivity. So, you know, rather than thinking about the cost of, you know, bolstering HR capabilities, I think companies need to start thinking about the cost of not making this investment. You know, there's there's also a big misconception that, you know, HR software or or solutions nowadays are, are very expensive they're complex. Uh, you know, a company has to implement this full suite of HR capabilities. It's going to take you know, nine to 12 months to implement, and, and companies don't really want to, to you know, do that. The reality is that there are really good solutions out there that are inexpensive due to technological advancements in, you know, in cloud computing. Uh, you've got subscription-based models that may really make it affordable. You now, furthermore, companies no longer need to invest in a full suite of capabilities that's not needed, and and they can focus on key capabilities that also make it more affordable for the company. Um, you know, through best practice methodologies, business processes built into these solutions, we're seeing that implementation cycles are are much shorter, and um, you know, we're seeing solutions being completed within eight weeks. You know, depending on the capability. You know, ultimately, you need to identify the challenges or the pain points in the business and see, you know, which areas can be focused on and where you can gain efficiencies. You know, if you you put the right HR system or solution in place, it will slash overhead costs. You know, it's going to increase productivity. It's going to, you know, boost your employee efficiency. I think better yet, it will create a happier, more efficient uh, employee. You know, this in turn can translate into better customer experiences and ultimately, you know, increase profits, which, which is what the organizations are looking for. Um, you know, investing the right technology now, you know, it's equivalent to investing, you know, long-term in, in your people and, you know, in their, in their career growth um, and also in the business itself. So, you know, if you commit to this type of investment, you know, amidst this current crisis uh, or, or future challenges, you know, the benefits of this are going to be paid several times over through, you know, dedication and performance of, uh, you know, from your employees um, that they'll give back to the organization when when things we, you know, get back to normal. Yeah. I just want to add another, you know, last point here that, you know, it's yes, it's it's possible to operate uh, your organization virtually with without any software, but it's it's tough. You know, businesses that focus on creating operational efficiencies. You know, they can drive further um, competitiveness while also, you know, creating increased capacity in the organization. And, you know, we're seeing now, you know, once we introduce now the the, the pandemic that's coming to play now, remote working, you know, that's also having a significant impact on your, you know, HR related processes um, and your HR teams. You know, the burden has fallen I think now through the pandemic, we're seeing that you know, a lot of the burden is falling now onto the HR team and professionals, and you know, without having modern HR software that is cloud-based, you know, that can be accessed, you know, anywhere uh, on any you know device, you know, you're going to find that the efforts to successfully work remotely um, is going to be hampered by the lack of technology. You know, just for example, taking a, a, an HR system with with mobile app capabilities uh, and having self-service uh, capabilities, you know, that alone is going to improve the efficiencies in the business. It's going to remove the bottlenecks. It's going to create a better, um, you know, working environment. And uh, ultimately, that will create efficiencies in the business and, and yeah. drive uh, productivity.
2: Rizan, right. you know, if I may add, uh, Karishan, yeah. I think I agree with what you're saying completely, right? But playing devil's advocate, you know, these conversations tend to fall on deaf ears in the current environment, where many executives will say to you, "But then those things are fluffy and they're nice to have, right?" So I think we've got to turn the conversation into one of what is the consequence of you not doing anything right now, right? The, 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 the you know the, the the COVID horizon is medium term at best there's going to be uh, an upturn. If organizations choose to remain where they are and try and sit it out and they don't cater for the future, they they have a very real risk of becoming redundant, right? Let's just take, for example, my 13-year-old kid, right? I can tell you right now that when I, you know, when I, I can relate back to a, a job I started in 2006 where for the first three days I was given manuals to read. And I can tell you right now that my 13-year-old would walk out of that organization within half an hour because of the poor experience that he's had, right? you know, being used to a consumer-based environment that is real-time, that fulfills his needs, that is contextual to his particular needs. So, that's one aspect of it, right? The other aspect is that what we're seeing at SAP is that, you know, we're having to to really from, because HR is seen as nice to have by many older executives, and I say that reservedly uh, without any, uh, any, any negativity, is that, you know, we're having to prove the real returns on investment. So, I'll give you a quick example. You know, we, we, we've embarked on projects with two major banks on the continent recently. And both of them, both of them you know, uh, freed up the money or approved the money to, to fund these projects based on two things. The first thing was that we showed them what a reduction in time to productivity would mean. So, both banks, you know, have a large complement of staff that are revenue-generating so these are guys that sell loans so we showed that the, the an impact of reducing the the time to productivity by 20% would mean a real return on investment in terms of these guys being able to be revenue generate revenue much sooner than anticipated right and that business case paid for the investment right and it and, and you, you kind of see the light switch on with the cfo and with the executive immediately so that, you know that that's one aspect the other aspect is that you know if we look at you know i'll just quote A couple of quick statistics. You know, the IDC says that organizations that focus focus on overall employee engagement deliver three times more revenue per employee, right? And organizations that focus on employee experience have 40% lower employee turnover than the average organization. Now, you'll agree that these types of things are, you know, easily quantifiable in terms of the cost to the organization or the return on investment for an organization. So I think we need to turn these conversations into something that is meaningful and empirical for the individuals based on their KPIs and objectives. And we need to show them, you know, the, the opportunity cost that's lost for them not doing something.
0: I agree completely. I think it's spot guys guys i'm just gonna i'm just gonna ask to just come back uh, very strongly here because we all, all you know i'm also managing quite a number of questions so i don't want the conversation sure. to just run away um so respectfully i mean i really do appreciate all of your uh very enthusiastic um, conversation there but i do need to keep make sure that we're getting around to all of the um, questions coming through as well so if you oh, wouldn't like- mind just handing back over to me every now and then all right So um, the first thing I want to just go ahead here and say is um, we've got a question from anonymous. Um, Where can we find the recordings of these webinars? You can go to tablemannersforrobots.com. I want to just link back to the overall theme of both the answers that we got. Very, very strong words, very powerful dose of good quality information, very insightful. I love the aspect of don't just look at the cost of doing something. Look at the cost of not doing something. And I think in the current state of Mm -hmm. business, with remote work, with businesses turning off some of their production lines, uh, businesses changing their facilities from one to another, we're just experiencing so much change right now that we need to be a little bit more open to some of the hidden costs that we are not observing. So it's very vital to start Mm -hmm. quantifying and evaluating the cost of not taking action, which in my opinion at this stage is far more severe than the cost of taking action. All right, let's just uh, see what we're getting coming through here. Um, Mitchell has a a question. Um, Would it be fair for employees to expect improved salaries in the case of a company being 100% operational during this pandemic and and who keeps a suitable profit margin? So I'm just gonna go ahead and give you my knee-jerk reaction to this question, then I'll probably hand over to a speaker. Um, you know, my thoughts on this is that if the company is doing well, and if the employee in particular is doing well, that employee must be rewarded. If the numbers are going up, it doesn't matter what's happening in the environment. That person must be rewarded. That's that's a, a philosophy that I live by and I swear by. And I think that if a company does it the other way around, they will um, suffer their own demise very rapidly. So, if a, co- a company is doing well, if the employee is doing well, and if they are not rewarded despite the environment, then the company will, in, you know, inevitably wind up in the soup at some point, you know, imminently. So that's my thought. I don't know, uh, Rizan. Do you want to give a comment on that, perhaps?
1: hundred uh, uh, percent. I agree um, with your your points uh, as well, kadushan I think, you know i mentioned earlier about um, you know having an, an engaged workforce and uh, you know the impact of having a, a disengaged employee and this talks to that uh, that that very same point um you know if if an employee is is performing well and the company is performing well you know they they need to be rewarded and and this will create a you know this this engaged workforce the passion within the employee that's going to benefit the the company in the long run. So, yeah, know I, again, just agree
0: with your points as well there on that. Okay, fantastic. Thanks thanks for that. Folks, um, you know, we, we just passed the halfway mark of the show. I'm going to invite you to click the link and start completing your surveys. It's very important that you complete these surveys. This is our primary source of information about your experience on the show, what you're looking for, whether you'd like further engagement, whether you'd like to dialogue with the speakers on the show here on after your vehicle to talk or to make requests is via the the survey link. We'll have it put into the the chat box. So if you wouldn't mind just clicking that link and, and, and taking a second to give us your feedback. So I'm going to continue with the conversation. We're really getting into some nice golden nuggets here. I'm going to just uh, read out some comments that are coming through, um, guys. Uh, so Claire says, we definitely agree with that. There seems to be uh, more soft factors than ever. While the impact of COVID-19 is strong in businesses, it is equally strong on the personal lives of the employees. I've noticed with ex-colleagues and friends, remote micromanaging is rife at some employers that have continued operating at some level during COVID-19, even when there is not a lot of work to be done it's almost like micromanaging availability rather than productivity. And on that, you know, I'd like perhaps to um, extend this a little bit further with you Shiraz, you know, maybe just give a quick thought on the difference between, um, you know, micromanaging availability as opposed to focusing on employee uh, production and productivity and bringing out the best in the employee.
2: Absolutely. I think, you know, I think we we can all empathize or, 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 Think back to the start of the pandemic where we were working remotely and there was just this, you know, proliferation of calls because people seem to want to prove, due, you know, through meetings that they are productive and unnecessarily so. I'm seeing that, that that has been alleviated within, you know, my organization. I think it's it stems from an understanding and, uh, you know, uh, kind of a dissemination of information amongst the employees and from the management and leadership to understand you know, the the challenges that people are facing. So, for example, you know, I have uh, my, my best salesperson, uh, you know, has to homeschool her kids, right, because they have, uh, you know, they have some illnesses and so on, so they're not getting back to school. So, for example, from be- between 10 and 1 in the morning or 10 and 1 in the early afternoon, she's not available. So, we work around that. So, you know, as a, as a, a kind of an unspoken rule within SAP, we have these little uh, pockets of understanding that we promote, and we are focusing on outcomes rather than, as you're saying, the availability. So I think, again, I'm going to go back to the fact that we need to, you know, we need to foster a culture of, of, in, of involvement, of engagement, and of collaboration, but also one of understanding and steer away from that policing because that is, that is the most negative thing. And I think that is going to result in people leaving organizations post the pandemic.
0: Absolutely. I, I tend to agree with that. And I think that we need to revisit our view on how we employ systems where you know when we're introducing systems it's not about tracking or audit trails for the sake of audit trails it's really yeah. about bringing out the best in the individual and that's something if you look at the content on curution.com uh, if you look at our youtube channel we really put out a lot of videos and content on the subject we believe that Absolutely. the purpose of technology is to bring out the best in the human being we want to move the, the mundane tasks into the world of the computer. Things like tracking and logging and data capturing, we wanna move that into the world of the computer. And what we wanna do is we wanna leave the human being free to do that which only he can do. And that's bringing his creative flair, bringing his ingenuity, bringing his design skills, bringing his artistic abilities, um, you know, his, his ability to persuade and influence. All of these are the things that we wanna enable in the human being, as opposed to making the, the human being just do yet another software task. All right.
2: So so have, I think. I think. Yeah, so, sorry. Okay. Just. To, just a quick note. Is you know, in terms of, it, I think it's got to do with the maturity of leadership as well, right? Because the anxiety creates this need to micromanage. I think you, you know, it starts with leadership, and I think you know, the, the it there needs to be some kind of change management that helps leaders to manage the output of their workforce.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely agreed. So I just want to go to a comment here um, by Peace. Um, Peace says that um, for small businesses and other small organizations. Is it necessary to cut off basic salaries to employees in this time of need? If so, what are the best solutions to show great support to employees in this very um, or in this time of need and all the negative impact of COVID-19? So I would like to um, uh, get quick comments from both of our speakers on this question. Uh, Rizan. I know that you have talked about this concept of salaries and salary cuts, but if you could just maybe comment on the fact that uh, on this point about eliminating basic salaries already, and then we will go to Shiraz, um, Rizan.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know as as I mentioned earlier, you know there, there's there's various approaches that that one can look here um, and and different alternatives. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, organizations are trying to cut costs in order to to stay afloat and to survive. Um, so um, you know, apart from cutting salaries. You know some of the other measures, like I mentioned before, are you know having employees to take their annual leave um, because you know a lot of companies see that through through the pandemic. I mean, December period is going to be a um, they would need to continue working during that time um, just to keep the operations going. Um, and then other options such as you know furlough arrangements, which is uh, you know temporary um, you know leave of absence. So, so these are some of the other options that, that can be looked at. Um, but again, you know, the point is these, you know, these discussions need to be held together, you know, the employee and the employee sit down and understand, you know, how do they make this work? You know, the company needs to operate, it needs to survive. Um, and what, what other options can there be? You know, where else can you cut costs in order to not
0: impact the employee? Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very valid points that are coming up here. So folks, as we edge towards uh, the last 15 minutes of the show, I want to encourage us, um, everyone to just put in your pertinent questions and comments and I will do my best to take them all up on, uh, on the show with our speakers. I also have a few more questions that I'd like us to run through very quickly in a very punchy way. Again, a reminder to please click on the link and complete a survey so you let us know what you're experiencing as we do the show and we can learn from your feedback and from your experiences with us. This morning, it's going to be just a few seconds for you to click that link and complete your survey as we head out to the close of the show. Um, we have a comment here from Claire. Claire, uh, this to Mitchell. She says, I would agree with that. While there is still much uncertainty and some caution is needed, some employers could be using COVID 19 as an excuse for not improving remuneration. And definitely, it's not the first time that I've heard this comment being made. And it is an interesting one. And I and I definitely um, would love for that answer or that comment to be unpacked a little bit more as we go through the um, answers to the next few questions here. Um, Shiraz, if we, if we could just jump to the point of loyalty. Obviously, this is a time of difficulty for both the employer and the employee. Certainly, a number of challenges, new people challenges facing employees that we never deemed possible even a year ago. What you know? What 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 is the role of loyalty in all of this?
2: So I think you know we, a lot's been said about you know reward and in, in organizations that are doing well and the potential to cut salaries. So I think there's a reality here uh, that in in an already contracting economy, we now have this uh, pandemic, which will see us contracting by eight percent in the next financial year. Right. So I think that it. it The loyalty that I would expect as an employee would be that if if my company was doing well, but they explained to me that in order to survive, uh, there wouldn't be salary increases, but there would be other forms of assistance in terms of helping me to rearrange, uh, you know, debt, for example, or working with financial advisors to restructure my investments, um, that these things would be helpful. And I think that would show loyalty towards me in terms of taking care of me as an individual. So, loyalty is not, not always about increased remuneration and reward. It's also about understanding my specific situation and helping me to to fight that battle. So, if, you know, I know folks that have had their, their salaries cut by 30 percent, but some organizations have helped them uh, to restructure their debt so that they could cope with that. And they put in place other measures to help them to alleviate some of the spending that they see. So, I think loyalty is really a two-way street.
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And definitely a two-way street. And I don't think that there's ever been a time where, where we've experienced this much change in such a short space of time. And it's really, really put the concept of loyalty to test, you know, both uh, not just from an employer-employee uh, relationship point of view, but also in terms of customers, and it's really tested customer loyalty at this time. Very interesting um, points that you raised there. So while while we, uh, you know, we've got you here going and the juices are flowing, tell us about workflow. Let's go to that level inside the organization. What mm-hmm. are some of the um, uh, people management workflows that that we're going to have to start thinking differently about inside the remote work yeah. environment?
2: So I think, you know, in normal times, uh, not having automated systems results in, you know, uh, inconsistent management system, right? So you have some managers that are really great with people and an onboarding uh, process, for example, is really rewarding to a new staff member and others are not so you know, so good at it, or they're not. Their interpersonal skills are not strong enough. So even in you know, without take COVID out of the equation, I think the automation of, of processes results in a, in a consistent management system, which means that every employee is entitled to as you know the same way. Or uh, in terms of how they they perceive the, the the organization treating them, right? So I think it's it, you know it's it's really really important that that you create a consistency in terms of how you manage people, so that there's no favoritism. You know we we use our own software, so for example, when we look at things like salary increases and performance bonuses and the like, it goes through a peer review system. It goes through you know so in, if I'm you know looking at salary increases for my employees the system enables a peer review from you know managers at my level so that we make sure that the process is fair so that everyone within the organizations has, a, you know, full transparency into the process. There's no feeling that there's favoritism and so on. So I think, you know, maybe that, that example answers your question that even without COVID, there's a real need for consistent management system, which is only achievable through automating processes and a real, you know, value added HR system.
0: Yeah, and Shiraz, you know, I just want to challenge you a little bit here. Um, sure. You know, I, I want to just, you know, probe a little bit more into this point that you raised. Uh, a lot of businesses are you know they worry about trying the avant-garde You know, especially uh, at this time of change where so much has changed around the business. The customers have changed. The products have changed. We've had to pivot so many things. And especially, you know, if you're a slightly smaller business, you're not this huge mammoth uh, global conglomerate. You know, you you tend to think that certain aspects like peer reviews, it's just very avant-garde. It's very a little bit unnecessary. Um, You know, if if you could just uh, tell us what are the risks facing some of these businesses that either believe that, uh, you know, it's too new or possibly believe those that's for the big guys, it's not for us. What are your thoughts on that?
2: So I think, you know, it's got to do with context, right? We've got to understand the context of the organization and the culture of the organization to understand what will work for them. So the peer review does not necessarily work in every organization, right? But if we look to further the aims of an organization, so if we tap into the, you know, the key objectives of an organization, every organization, for example, will have the objective to improve staff turnover, right? So how do we do that? And what is the cost of staff turnover? So I would take the questions to a, to a very basic level in terms of what is the cost of not doing something? And what is the potential return if you change, uh, you know, a particular area of your business that is experiencing pain? Right? Because, for example, staff turnover, turnover is probably the easiest example that you can use. When you lose a staff member, it's not the, it's not only a case of you not having a staff member on board for two or three months, but it's a case of losing six months in terms of training the next staff member. It's the collateral damage of losing key relationships between that staff member and your customers and the impact on the customer service and the resulting impact on, the, on your ability to de- derive revenue. So I think that those are the, the ways that I would answer that question. And it goes back to my earlier point about what is the cost of doing nothing? Those are always the questions that we need to have. So it's not not a case of, you know, a lot of organizations will say, we're not going to transform. What is this use of transforming? And that's the level of detail that I would get to in terms of answering that question.
0: Uh, absolutely makes sense. So um, we do have um, a question from Anonymous. Um, how does labor law cater for pandemic situations? Just at a high level, I just want to stress that, um, you know, we definitely don't have any official prescriptive guidance from a labor law perspective on today's show. Um, so I just want to make that very clear. I don't know. Um, Rizan. do you want to make, uh, g- give that a bash? Do you know anything about labor law in regards to catering for the current pandemic uh, situation?
1: Yeah, I think um, uh, you know, like you mentioned, uh, there hasn't been anything that's been prescriptive or, or legislated to date. Um, <clears throat> but I think uh, you know the, the the changes in the environment and 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 the new ways of working, you know, could introduce some of these changes. Um, I just read uh, you know recently that uh, you know uh, minister. Um, Uh, Laminizuma has uh, also uh, indicated in the the Government Gazette and introduced new uh, or additional components from a working condition perspective that need to be introduced into organizations, um, such as, um, you know, flexible time, um, you know, shift working, uh, you know, the amount of the the number of people that can be you know in in the physical workspace and therefore have to you know work in these different shifts so so these are the things i think could become the norm and uh, you know we'll have to wait and see you know how these things unfold
0: yeah, absolutely. I, um, I agree with the sentiments there. Very interesting about basic conditions of employment. If you really think about where those uh, pieces of legislation emerged, it was really about bringing a sense of um, safety and comfort for employees inside the context of the workplace. And now, obviously, the nature of the workplace has fundamentally changed, so it will have bearing on legislation. Very interesting points. I don't think any of these points are necessarily conclusive at this stage, but really, really good to just start thinking about how this is going to affect us in the next three to five years. All right. So, Rizan, while we uh, while we got you going there, tell us. You know, in terms of uh, technology, you know, I, I get the sense, and, and you know, I myself lead a company that isn't a big company. Uh, we, we're a small company, and um, I'm interested to know what are those you know, from a tech point of view, what are those bare bones, the bare minimum that I need to do? I don't want to be, uh, you know, be scared by a long list, a long laundry list of things that I'm not going to afford at this immediate stage. What would you say are some of the bare minimum things that I need to have in place to successfully um, steer my ship?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, you need to have, you know, uh, you know, robust sort of solutions in place that allow you to adapt to this new ways of working. Um, You know, it's essential that organizations are able to respond rapidly, you know, to keep the business as usual processes on track as far as possible. Um, You know, whether your people are working from home or, you know, in the usual workplace, they still need to be paid. I think this is where you need a really good, uh, you know, a robust payroll system. Because organizations that uh, you know have outdated you know payroll solutions are going to struggle to complete their pay runs on time, and and make it you know, a lot more difficult for employees who are already feeling the pinch, um, you know in some organizations. So so as a minimum, I think that's that's what's needed, and and there are other sort of capabilities that I think is is also needed, especially if we look at you know the remote working situation, um, you know having a well integrated intuitive. Time tracking software. You know, I think it's one of the most essential tools that you're going to need for remote work. You know, keeping employees accountable for their breaks, their time, uh, and it needs to be easy enough for them to use um, and and simple as operating a a, a mobile phone. You know, um, we need to have. I think these, these simple solutions in place that make it easier for organizations to operate for employees to to utilize uh, without hindering their performance at work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good points there. So, uh, you know, obviously the the, the few things in life that we know don't change is taxes and the fact that we have both. So I think we definitely need to find ways to make sure that that whole process is managed better, especially as a lot of companies go through a bit of difficulty in terms of, you know, keeping the books in balance. It's going to be important to be very systematic about things that have the right level of transparency and visibility. Love your advice there about time tracking and making it as easy as possible. And I'm sure that there are all sorts of other productivity enhancements that come with these with these tools. All right. So, um, you know, as we head towards the close of the show, again, another PL an invitation to all of you to please take a second. It, you know we've made the feedback form super quick and easy. It's just a quick drop. A uh, few. Uh, it's a set of drop downs. So it'll take you only a few seconds to complete. While while you guys do that, I'm going to ask um, Shiraz to just tell us from a legislative and compliance point of view, are there any worries that we need to you know not neglect in regards to this new post pandemic workforce?
2: Are think they- Okay, you, you guys touched on it a little bit, but I think that again, you know, I separated this into, you know, the, the the white collar and the blue collar. From a blue collar perspective, an essential workforce perspective, I think the most important thing is health and safety, making sure that we adhere to the rules uh, you know set it out and that there are safety protocols in place to prevent the workforce from you know the risk of COVID. And then from a from a white collar perspective, I think it's the support mechanisms to enable staff to adapt to the new way of working and to adopt the new tools and to you know, I guess to to be given some comfort that they've been managed through this process.
0: Okay, cool. Well, on that note, um, I want to say a very. Uh, we do have a whole bunch of questions that we we weren't able to get to, unfortunately, because of time. But I do invite you to complete the survey feedback forms, and in doing so, it will give you the opportunity to continue the dialogue with our speakers. We can we can set that up for you. We can make those arrangements um, so that if you do have any questions that we weren't able to get to today, that we will still be able to continue the dialogue into the future. I want to thank our speakers for showing up, and despite the constraints of you know low shedding and some of our our typical South African difficulties that we still managed to pull off a show, which is really fantastic, and it really shows you know this 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 power of this human spirit that we we possess as South Africans. And I really loved that part of the conversation. I really loved the people aspect of today's discussion. It's all about bringing out the best in our people, and it's not just about you know trying trying to extract um, value mechanically from people. It's really about thinking uh, about the soft issues at this stage. So lots of golden nuggets that have come out in today's show. A uh, very big thank you to all of you who showed up on the show as delegates and attendees and who have participated actively, your thoughts and your feedback really does make the show what it is. On that note, thank you so much and we will catch you uh, next week for another installment of Table Matters for Robots. Thank you very much.